All right, here we go. Straight to you from Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Welcome to Permit to Think. Meaningful stories and conversations from the fringe of societal norms. I am your host, Mike Dawes. As a professional fisherman and host, I've spent the last 25 years traveling the far and near reaches of the world. In the beginning, the goal was untouched adventures and wild fish. But I've come to realize that the people I've met along the way and their stories have played a pivotal role in seeking what I'm truly after, a quiet mind and some time to think. This ride is too short, so I'm gonna start exploring the narratives of the people that have brought me here. I have been told that audio has no rules, so it seems like a good platform for someone who grew up breaking them all. Let's go. Our guest today is Stephen Sullivan, Sully. Sully is a fixture in the outdoor industry and the Jackson Hole community. Sully was the co-founder and president of Cloudvale Mountain Works from 1997 to 2010, an apparel company born and bred in the Tetons and a staple of the community. I still have some of the products and I often notice them on folks who too have old fi- favorites that die hard. After a brief hiatus and the expiration of a non-compete, Sully founded Steo in 2011, where he remains today as the CEO. Steo was founded to inspire connection with the outdoors through beautiful functional products infused with mountain soul. True to the authenticity of the brand, the Steel catalog is on full display daily in and around the Rocky Mountains and beyond. In recent years, Steel has experienced exponential growth, something I look forward to discussing today. To see Sully's vision come to fruition after decades of hard work and persistence is an inspiration and a case study of entrepreneurship for those lucky enough to work in industries they are passionate about. You can still find Sully on the mountains, trails, and rivers that fueled his vision some 30 years ago, daily. Sully is a frequent panelist and lecturer in the outdoor, snow sports, fly fishing space, and serves as a business mentor to several local and national companies. He is a board member, treasurer of the Jackson Hole One Fly Foundation and Center Management Inc. Sully grew up in Grand Junction, Colorado, and went to school in Durango, where he graduated from Fort Lewis College. Sully lives in Wilson, Wyoming, with his wife, Anna, and three children, Pryor, a former co-worker of mine, Stuart, and Harriet. Without further ado, please welcome Sully to the show. What's up, Sully? Hey, Mike. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me. Thanks for... uh, Thanks for making the time, man. I really appreciate it. I know how busy you are. Uh, not too busy to spend time with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's nice. You're you're headed uh, so the the state semifinals or not uh, state, but you're going to Boise. No, it is state. Our uh, our high school lacrosse team plays in the Idaho League, and so really? we're actually uh, the boys made state semis for the second year in a row and. Got a good chance to to get ourselves to the finals. So, and that's Stewie. 
Yeah, that's nice. Stu. Awesome. What does he play? Uh, he's a D midi. Nice. And he, midi and D midi. Um, and, a, and quite a feral cat. <laughs> <laughs> Why do they play in the... Is this not enough teams here? There, there's only one other team in the entire state of Wyoming. It's over in Sheridan. And they're, they've just started. Oh, wow. So, so we play in the Idaho League. I wonder what that will look like in 10 years. Who knows? Yeah. Um, you've been a fan of this podcast uh, since its inception, and I, I honestly have to say how much I appreciate that. I think you maybe could relate to what I was going through in the sense of it being wildly new and a startup. Um and uh, I was explaining to a buddy last night because he was like, well, you should do this and that. I'm like, listen, man, it's a little different. You know, like you're in the real estate world. It would be like you just switching to graphic design. <laughs> right. So it's been it's been a challenge, but uh, I really do appreciate your uh, your support and hopefully continued uh, constructive feedback because in uh, hopefully you'll hear in the in the recent episodes that I just did that I've stopped it a couple of times and said like, okay, we need to explain this. So to try and get, um, you know, what you were, what you were telling me. Yeah. There, there's a lot of nuance, um, in your conversations, (laughs) (laughs) uh, that, that some of the, (laughs) some people may not pick up. I think, um, I, I just hope I can live up to the standards that, that Vance and Fagan and, Oh, and uh, I, I, some of the some of the characters you've had on. Oh, here. I'm sure. Uh, well, there's no doubt you you will. I know that. Um, the last time I talked to you, though, uh, we've texted and emailed that you were in Puerto Rico. Yeah, we went down to Puerto Rico for spring break this year. And where, where you said you were headed to we, the east, or yeah, we went. Uh, we went out to Rincon. Oh, which, cool. Which is uh, the little surf community. It was it was really great. We had a, a motley crew of Jackson Hole people. We had the Jenkins and the Smiths and and the Frenchy Frenchy crew out nice. there. And so we had we had a pretty good time. And it gets surf regularly there. It gets a lot of surf actually. Really? Yeah, that one that one little pocket. Um, yeah, we had great surf the entire time we were wow. there. I um I I really hurt myself surfing over spring break as well. Where, um, where did you all go? <laughs> Costa Rica. And uh, finally, right, just after years of struggle, and not a lot of time, but sometime, rode down a wave and was like, this is, this is fucking awesome. And uh, pra- cracked my ribs, fell, board shot up, and then it was all over. <laughs> oh, I remember our, our uh, trip to Panama oh. with the boys to Morna <laughs> You, That was... Uh, that was Thunderdome. You're you're a yeah. That was Thunderdome. <laughs> yeah, <I'm, laughs> I forgot about Thunderdome. Uh, I've replicated it a couple times. Yeah, that was all time. Yeah, um, you weren't the most graceful surfer then. I'm not gonna no. lie to you. <laughs> it was awful. And I finally <laughs> took a lesson. Oh, you did. I did, and it was like, wow, you know, I guess um, my you know good pattern of not you know learning lessons the hard way but uh it was helpful i i I think it's the hardest sport to learn or to be become uh really proficient at 
And it's very hard because you can see why people, you can see the whole thing. You can see why you could dedicate your life to it. You can see why it's religious, spiritual, whatever you want to call it. I mean, uh, completely. It's, it's one of my favorite things to do. But every time I go on one of those trips, you know, you're not really catching waves until week two. Yeah. <laughs> because it's just the timing. Yeah. No, I mean, and the fitness. Yeah. Actually, a great lesson the, uh, the surf instructor said to me while he was giving my kids a lesson before he even came to me was like, he put, he sought me out, pulled me aside and he's like, Hey man, slow down. And I'm like, slow down what? And he's like, everything. You're just, you're just moving so fast. <laughs> I was like, wow. A lot of people in Costa Rica actually told yeah. me that. But. Yeah. It's a, it's just so much fun. I love Costa Rica too. What a great spot. I, I had never spent any time there. Yeah, I've been down there. I've been down there on four surf trips and then uh, one family trip. Oh wow! It was the best, probably the best family trip I've ever had. It's a great, great place to go with your family. I've fished off of the southern coast, but it was on a houseboat. But never spent any time on land, and that was a wake up. Right. I'll, I'll be. I'll be heading back. Have you? Um, have you been up north at all? Uh, Dubois area. I have. I was just there this weekend. Nice. Yeah, my wife and I have a have a ranch over there. We bought a. Hundred year old dude ranch six years ago. T T Cross. T Cross, yeah. Yeah. And um so I went up there for the it was kind of our we call it you know, D Day opening day. Yeah. Where you turn on the water and keep your fingers crossed. <laughs> wait for the <laughs> wait for the possible wait for the explosions. <laughs> yeah. Luckily this year we only had we only had four major leaks. Really? Which is yeah, which is a game changer. Like we're we're starting to harness. And any critters or like Oh yeah, everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pack rats and squirrels get into the cabins, and you have to kind of go through and <laughs> yeah. de- depopulate. I'm heading uh, over that way next week, and looking forward to it. Awesome. Yeah, this coffee is strong. Yep. <laughs> Bustelo, um, your ride in kind of the outdoor apparel world. I mean, when I was kind of planning for this it could be a multiple show um scenario to be honest because there's 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 a lot i want to talk about and a lot um of things that i have to ask because i uh, a lot of times when we get the chance to catch up we're talking about life um and your your ride is it's so impressive that uh, i'll throw that out there now because we might have to either you know pause and, and bring you back or um you know, call it a wrap and, and just do another one. If, if, if you'll do it, I, I would love to. Um, I, I was thinking, um, in a weird fashion, I want to start right in the middle of your story. Um, and then jump back to the beginning and then, you know, quickly just kind of how you, how you ended up here. Um, and then focus on steel quite a bit. If great. that, if that works, that works great. So that if I, if I have everything correct, it would be the mountain origin time post cloud veil pre steo that you were in a, in a non-compete agreement. And what was that like? I mean, um, <clears throat> I tried to buy cloud veil back from, you did. I did from, um, from spider, um, which was owned by a big company called apex partners. And uh, they went through some big transitions, Spider did, and, and the new CEO um, 
whose name was Tom McGann, came in and said, hey, do you want to try to buy Cloudvale back? And I said, yeah, I do. And and I had a financial partner, and we spent about eight months trying to get the brand back, and we didn't we didn't get it. We got left at the altar, actually, on a term sheet. And the new co uh, wanted me to continue on, but I had a not, I either had to do that or I had a non-compete that was paid. And quite honestly, my, my business partner, Brian Cousins, had left a year before, and he, he'd had a gut full. And because we'd gone through so many transitions. Yeah, I mean, that, that would have, I mean, if you bought it, right, that would have been the third sale. And it would have been, right. Wow. And so I, I just, I was done. Um, I was done kind of battling for that at the time. So I, I left in, I think it was March of 2010. That, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. And I immediately, uh, I had a non-compete, but that didn't mean I couldn't work. And I immediately got approached by um, the two owners of Teton Village Sports, which was just going through some operational infrastructure challenges. And, and they asked me to come in and kind of help, um, you know, just tidy it up a little bit. And then I spent a year doing that, um, brought in one of my old employees, uh, Maura Marshall, who became the GM of Teton Village Sports. That's cool. Yeah, it was great. And then uh, during that time, the owners had decided that they were kind of done and Jackson Old Mountain Resort had been poking around trying to expand their retail profile out in the village. And so we brokered a deal to sell it to the Mountain Resort. And But during that time, I had a lot, I still had, you know, that was a consulting gig, so I wasn't full-time, and I had a lot of time to really think through what I wanted to do next. And that's when I started envisioning Steo. And was your non-compete pretty strict, or was it, you know, just stay out of the stay out of the outdoor world in Jackson Hole, or? No, it was it was stay out of the outdoor world nationally. I mean, you know, yeah. both, both Cloudvale and Steel are nationally, you know, national companies. Sure. And so... Uh, it, it was strict, but that didn't mean that I couldn't, you know, I couldn't put forth an effort independently to start working on my next project. Sure. And so I did that and I spent, I actually spent, I I would say given my track record, I spent kind of an inordinate amount of time thinking about what I wanted to do next and how I wanted to do it. Most importantly, how, because CEO is a very different company than Cloudvale. It's a direct consumer brand. Yeah. Um, and, and that required me to kind of dive deeper into, you know, did I want to be completely digitally native or were we going to be a cataloger or were we going to have retail stores? And I landed on, we were going to do all three. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the most interesting things about the business is when we launched Steo, we, you know, formed the company in 2011. We formally launched the brand in, in the fall of 2012 uh, we opened a retail store, we put our first catalog in the mail, and we turned our website on all within the same month. Well, that's interesting. And I think, um, and that was very conscious. You know, I, I thought really hard about the retail side of it because, you know, opening a retail store is quite expensive. Yeah. There's a big capital investment. But I really felt like that retail component, the brick and mortar component, solidified that we weren't just some fly by night you know, another internet company that was throwing some darts. Yeah. And, um, and it's worked out pretty well. Yeah. 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 Um, during, during that time. And so that would be a year 
was it a year that you were I, under the or eight, a year? Eighteen months. Eighteen months. Yeah. Okay. Were you? How would you describe how you felt during the time, and then how would you look back on it now? Um. Well, at first, I was devastated. Um, you know, I'd spent Cloudville was my dream. Yeah, and um, and it it was a really fun ride. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we had a we had a great time. Brian and I were uh, unbelievable business partners, just complete yin and yang of each other, and really complemented each other. We brought in a great group of people. Um, you know, we started off in the outdoor and snow sports space, and then we got over into the fly fishing space, which was super fun. Um, not a great business. <laughs> yeah, well, um, <laughs> preached into the choir. Yeah, not a, not not necessarily the best business, but a, a really great ride. Just met an unbelievable uh, crew of people. Yeah, um, and for the listeners, right, at that time, when you did, when it was that ride was over, I mean, you guys had... 600 dealers and yeah we had we're run. doing 30 million or close to uh we did i Cloudville peaked at about 25 million in revenue okay. annual revenue so it was big i mean that's yeah it was good size yeah um and yeah it was a really fun business it wasn't a great business though um mm-hmm. we had a lot of challenges and a lot of that was precipitated by going through all these different transactions you know we first Brian and I cobbled it together at first with 401ks getting cashed out. Yeah. And, and, and Brian's dad was, was good enough to um, put up a CD to get us our first line of credit at the bank. And it was really hand to mouth. Mm-hmm. And then <clears throat> five years in, we did a, um, a private equity deal with a very small new private equity fund called JLEX Partners. John Boris and Michael McGregor, who are still friends of mine. And they came in and we had really explosive growth for a couple of years. You know, we went kind of from that 5 million in revenue to 15. This is an explosive growth compared to all these unicorns out there these days. But, but I'm saying, isn't but, that also the hardest growth? It is. Okay. It is. Because there's a certain kind of employee you need and, and the systems you need to get yourself from kind of zero to five or $10 million in revenue. And then things really change and you need to start bringing the game up significantly. Mm -hmm. Um, You need to raise the bar with the type of people and experience you bring into the business. So um, that was, that was really fun, but we were constantly kind of outstripping our working capital base and, and our new investors got quite nervous. And in the interim, we had this, this guy approach us that was working with a company called Sport Brands International, which was owned by Cerberus Capital, another one of the largest private equity funds in the world. And they, uh, Sport Brands International owned Fila, and um, they owned a couple other brands, uh, Chiesa and Motionware. And they brought us into their fold, and um, we did a transaction. Huh. And, and so devastated <clears throat> during that time frame is one part. How else would you describe it when you were in it, right? Because that's a and, and and let me preface this, right? I mean, part of the reason I'm I'm, I'm trying to like steal info from you, <laughs> right? Right. I mean, I'm in it, right? Right. Yeah. So you've recently made a big life transition. Yeah. So it's uh, it's very interesting to compare notes because I'm hopeful. Well, we'll see what you say, but you know, describing it in the moment, I think where I'm headed with this is I think will be different than when you look back on it now. 
I, I think you're right. I, you know what? So at first I was, I was super bummed out. Um, I, I just couldn't believe we lost the deal. Uh, my financial partner couldn't believe we lost the deal. We, we were, um, we were devastated, but because we saw a lot of potential and, and I actually had a, a, a strategy to take Cloudvale more direct. And so the whole idea was kind of reduce the, the wholesale base down to the best, the best of the best, you know, the top 20% and then, and then really push the direct thing because direct consumer was really emerging in a hot way at that point. So, um, starting over sucks. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, just quite frankly, you know, reinventing yourself is, is not easy. And, you know, all the doubt creeps back in and, and almost more so because, you know, I had a family and yeah, pretty heavy burn rate um, and doing a lot of traveling with the kids at the time. And so I didn't have that same kind of time I did when I started Cloudville. Mm-hmm. I started Cloudville before I got married. Yep. And so I, you know, I could put in the 80 hour weeks and grind and not think about it. Yep. And, and then starting Steo, I, I couldn't do that anymore. You know, I had yeah. three kids at home and a, and a wife and, um, you know, had just built a house and blah, blah, blah. And yeah. So, which are good priorities to have. I mean, they're great priorities. And, and I think that in retrospect, one of the nice things about that is, um, I almost don't trust anybody that doesn't have kids <laughs> because it's such a, it's such a level set for yourself and, and also for how much time and energy you put into other things. And, and you have to create a balance for yourself when you have children. Um, and that, that I think was really beneficial when I started Steo. I was, I was way more zoomed in. I wasn't so tangential about yeah. things. And a lot of, you know, I, I almost look at it as like the, there was, I look back at times where it was work to look like I was working, mm-hmm. but it wasn't, it wasn't meaningful. Right. I mean, it was just putting in the 80 hours to, and, and I, I shouldn't say that there, there's parts of it that's meaningful, right? People see you there, you know, doing all of that. But it, it's interesting you say that because I, I look at, I have plenty of friends, which is wildly interesting to me that don't have families. Right. Um, and I don't try to explain what goes on in my family life. You know what I mean? They're just like, you're probably busy. And I'm like, I am. And that's it. Because I, I, it, it can't, you know what I mean? I can't make that the jump between the two because it's just a different, it's a different world at this point. It's a totally different world. And, and as you know, you're probably seeing it with Cook and Ramsey, like you, you have a new set of friends. Yeah. Like you, you go from, you know, all my buddies when I was, you know, I've been in Jackson for 33 years there, you know, all my former buddies are, are among the best climbing and ski guides and fishing guides here that's who i used to play with yeah and then you get kids and it's like no you're going to boise to sit on a lacrosse field (laughs) (laughs) and those are your new friends yeah because you need somebody to chat with and commiserate with and i do find myself um it's interesting you say that i find myself recreating alone a lot more you know i was actually gonna gonna ask you that question because i saw when you were living in wilson i would see you on the road a lot on your bike so solo yeah and that's exactly how i am i have become a solo recreator yeah uh and i think it's because first of all you you only have these little pockets of time 
And so you, you, it's really hard to plan that, like the bike ride or the ski with your buddies. Yeah. Um, and you know, you, you get it occasionally, you get out on the river with your friends or whatever and get some fishing in. But I, I'm, I recreate by myself a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's almost one of those things where your, your, your time is so limited that you're, you're burning what you've got by trying to make any sort of plan. Right. Some of the times. I mean, I still get out there and fish with people, you know, all of that. I sure. mean, and obviously my travel world, you know, it's like I get doses of it where it's just luckily I get this, you know. Right. And I, I have I have the same thing when I have, a, you know, we have a lot of friends that visit here. I'll go visit friends. and But my my friend circle, it's, a, it's also funny when you're the, um, it's an interesting conundrum running a business that starts to grow and become fairly sizable that your circle of friends narrows a lot. Oh, I'm sure. And it, I get a lot of my community out of my business and the people I work with. And so I don't need that same community outside of business that I used to. And I have a very tight select kind of group of very close friends that I stay in touch with. And most, most of whom I talk to weekly, but most of them don't live here. Yeah. And so, but yeah, the, the solo recreation is, yeah. is really <laughs> yeah, interesting. I mean, I mean, it's a little scary too. You go on a long mountain bike ride. I know. I mean, I have like the double bear sprays, yeah. and, uh, you know, I'm like, <laughs> it's game, had, it's game I've, on. I've had there. some interesting, yeah. Encounters that way. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so back, back to this notion. So devastating, you know, hard, would you call it confusing? I mean, yeah. And, and luckily I had a little cushion, you know, and I, um, you know, financially, my wife and I were fine at the time. And, and I had this year and a half getting paid pretty well um, to kind of figure out what I wanted to do. And that was really a godsend because, yeah. but it goes quick. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going through it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I set it up the same way. I mean, our circumstances are similar and then they're also very different. But, right. um, you know, because I just walked away. Right. Um, but it exa- without that... I would have probably, to be honest with you, already jumped in. I mean, my compete ended on Sunday, so oh, it's wow. it's pretty fresh. <laughs> but you know, you know what I'm saying. Like, I might have made some decisions um, that I've said no to. I might have said yes to, right? And because it, of that, and that happened to me for sure. Um, and you can choose to go out and contest those competes. And I just said I'm going to give myself the time. But I was actually shocked how fast the first six months went by. Yeah. It was, it was like a you know wildfire. And, and then, um, and then that, that first six months I was pretty occupied because I had jumped into this consulting gig right away. But I, um, I really put the wood to it after that and, and started, um, getting my plan together for the next business. And, and how would you, how would you look back, like just describe that time period now that you're, you know, 11, 12 years later, looking back on it. Well, I think the best thing that I did is I got real about it. I went out and rented an office mm-hmm. and I rented an office that was big enough to get my new business going and then filled it with some buddies. I, I, I pretty much invented WeWork as far oh. as I'm concerned <laughs> because I, I had uh, I had three buddies that, that shared the office with me that I was milking the, you know, the rent off of. And where was that? Uh, it was out um, uh, in the Aspens, okay. um, kind of behind um, Sudachi. Yeah. And 
and then, and I had told these guys, I said, Hey, you're here for six months. That's the max because I'm going to start this business. And they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and sure enough, I booted them yeah. <laughs> because I started bringing in employees. Um, but that, I think that was a big step, like going out and taking that on and mm-hmm. saying, I'm going to, you know, pay 2,500 bucks a month in rent. Yeah. That kind of made me stay zoomed in. Like I have an office. I went to the office every day. I, I, um, I really did work on the business really hard. Like an example is again, I had this street cred, so it wasn't like I, I didn't know what I was doing. Sure. And I already had some financial backing that I knew I had kind of in my back pocket, but I still spent four months building out a complete deck, you know, a classic pitch deck on, on what I was going to do and formulating the business plan. Yeah. I read somewhere, um, and I read a bunch of, I mean, you're, there's a lot of articles about you out there that you you knew right away that you were going to do Steo when after Cloudville was over. I did. I I wasn't done. Yeah. I, I didn't know what the name of the brand was. I, sure. I didn't have the distribution figured out quite yet. I didn't know exactly how I was going to do it, but I, I wasn't done with the business. Yeah. And and do you think that? the in the capacity that Cloudvale ended it fueled I mean because you're you're a very driven person so do you think it even added like a little more gas on the fire uh yeah 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 for sure <laughs> I um I'm a, I'm a very quietly hyper competitive person sure and I was pissed mm-hmm. that I lost the business and um and basically I said well I'm gonna go out and build a company way bigger than that. And, and you have, and I have, yeah. yeah, that's, um, well, thanks for that. I mean, that's, that's, uh, it's actually extremely helpful for me and also, um, very interesting because I, I think at some point I'll look back at this time and, and think it was very valuable. I, I think you will. I think it's, uh, there's a lot of retrospection that goes on you yeah. know, and you, you start to think about what, what do I really want to do? And, and I really thought a lot about how do I want to work as an example with Cloudvale, I traveled constantly. Um, you know, we went to six trade shows a year, did the outdoor retailer shows, both of those, the fly fishing show. We did two shows in Europe. Um, we did the ski show and then I was traveling to key accounts constantly. And, um, that was one thing I didn't want to do. I wanted to spend more time with my family and I wanted to focus on uh, I wanted to focus on the business and the product and the marketing and not be constantly distracted by the kind of white noise of travel. And, uh, so that, that was a big part of it. In, in another question I had about that time period, but you, you already kind of answered it though, was, I, I don't have a grasp on this. So, um, what, was it a gamble to go heavy into direct to consumer in, the idea in 2010 because now it's it's obviously a little more commonplace social media right you can you can see the algorithms a little right it's a a little more out there it it is a little more out there um today yeah i I think it was a gamble i mean we are truly the only outdoor apparel company you know fully you know top of the mountain to the boardwalk that um is digitally and catalog native Mm -hmm. um in our own brick and mortar. We do have wholesale uh, accounts now 
you know, we're sure. starting to expand things a little bit, but I, um, I think it was, it was a gamble, but and was it a radical idea to you? Were you like, it was a little bit of a radical idea, but the thing that was most interesting to me was that it's an analytically driven business. So, you know, some of the first hires we made were to bring in analysts mm-hmm. that were paying attention and doing regression analysis on every, on every catalog we put out and every digital campaign we did. So I love the analytical side of the business, but I also love the fact that we were putting out a product directly to the customer and taking out the, the middlemen of the sales rep and the retailer. Yep. Um, there was way less white noise. We mm-hmm. put, we put a product on the market, it resonated and we sold it or we didn't. And, and if it didn't sell, we moved on from that product and created a new product. If something did sell, we'd build around it. And that's what we continue to do today. Yeah. Um, so you get that direct to consumer feedback as so much well. quicker. Yeah. So much quicker. The, the, I know now if, if we put a product on the market, I know in 45 days, if it's a winner, if it's a loser, or if it's at least a merchandising player in the line. Yeah. And it allows you to be a lot more nimble in your product development and it's, it's worked out really well. That's, um, that's cool. I mean, and how is that through the lessons at Cloudville that you kind of, I mean, cause it, again, it seems to me, and you, you just said it, right. It, it was a little radical at the time to be like, let's go down this route. Well, it, it, it was radical in the respect that it's a much more expensive business to start. Oh, okay. uh, direct consumer business is much more expensive. Um, there's two things. The first thing is you don't get purchase orders and you don't have receivables. So it's really hard to bank the business in, mm-hmm. in the early days. I mean, we now have a large line of credit and work with JP Morgan, you know, one of sure. the biggest banks in the world. But um, that, that took a long time to get to. So we had to fund the business with equity. And so we, re- we have had to raise quite a bit more capital than we ever had to raise at Cloudvale. Huh. Um, because direct consumer marketing is very expensive. You know, it's a 69 cents to put a catalog in the mail. It's, um, and we, we put millions of catalogs in the mail now. So, and, and digital marketing is, is kind of a big black box. It's hard to get all the attribution right and figure that out. So you, you put a lot of dollars out there that are, um, that are not accretive and, and so it, it takes a while to get the model churning, but then when it, once it does get churning and once you build a customer base, which we have now a fairly significant customer base, you can model better mm-hmm. on all the other work you're doing. And so it, it's like the classic snowball uh, sure. analogy. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Um, well, let's, let's, um, let's jump backwards here. Cause, um, it, again, in, in something else I read, and you and I haven't talked about this, that um, you know, you were you you had a short stint after school as a as a credit analyst in San Francisco. Is that? <laughs> I did. <laughs> um, so I, uh, I I went to Fort Lewis College down in Durango, and uh, I got out. I lived in Boulder for a year, and actually, that's where I got my first taste of the. I had always worked in outdoor and bike shops kind of growing up. That mm-hmm. was kind of my MO. Um, and all through college, I worked at a, an outdoor shop called Pine Needle Mountaineering in Durango. And then I moved to Boulder aimless, completely aimless for a year after college. And I ended up getting a job with this company called Wave Rave, which owned several retail stores. 
but the founder was also starting an apparel company, a snowboard apparel company. And so I became basically kind of his production assistant. Um, and I learned, I learned a lot, although he didn't know much either <laughs> at the time. <laughs> so it was kind of trial by fire, but, um, but we, we, you know, he conceptualized a product line and, and we got some stuff made and, and that was great, but I, you know, I wasn't making any dough and any real dough. But it's, you were still in Durango? No, I was in Boulder at in that Boulder. time. In Boulder, okay. So a, you, you went, moved there. Yeah, moved okay. there for a year. And my uncle, my parents were um, very interestingly because they paid no attention, you know, during my high school and growing up years to my grades or to anything. <laughs> um, very interesting because they're both college professors. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that speaks volumes. Yeah. Yeah. And then they, um, but they got really interested in me getting a career established. Sure. <laughs> so hopefully probably to get off the dole. Although I was <laughs> never, I was never really on the dole from the time I went into college, except my dad paid my tuition. Um, cause I'd always worked, but my uncle got me this great job in San Francisco as a credit analyst for mergers and acquisitions this company that did kind of independent credit analysis and I had absolutely zero aptitude yeah. <laughs> um, for that role. But I, uh, I moved out there and did a six month stint out there. Miserable, absolutely miserable. Living Although, in San Fran. I lived out in the East Bay okay. in Walnut Creek and that's where their office was. And the one, the, the only cool thing about San Francisco is it's close to a lot of stuff. You know? Yeah. So you can get you can get out, and I I did a lot of exploring uh, in the mountains there, and um, and rivers actually. There's some there's some good fishing. Yeah. You know, tucked away, and so I I didn't not enjoy the time, but I hated the job. Sure. And my best friend uh, Scott Richards, who was a college buddy, who's still my dear friend. Um, he came out and this is pre-cell phones. Like I don't even, yeah, it's amazing. I don't even remember how we connected and knew, like I knew he was going to be in the Bay area, Yeah, but he came out for Thanksgiving landlines. I had a, I had a similar, I mean like once a year, right? Like, Hey, how are you doing? (laughs) Hey, I'm going to be there. And then, but then how did you connect coordinate? Like we're going to meet at that restaurant. Yeah. It's, it's, and even more importantly, how the hell do we find our way around yeah. before Google Maps? Yeah, which is, um, you know, well, I mean, Fagan and I talked about that a little bit, like the Rometto, uh-huh. you know, that whole idea of like, we've lost the, with, with using Google Maps, you end up detraining your mind to be geographically aware, which is fascinating to me, but. It's super fascinating. Like I, I've been in Salt Lake a couple of times. <laughs> When I'm in downtown Salt Lake and I can get to the airport blindfolded and, and I still turn on the goddamn Google Maps. Yeah. So uh, anyway, my best buddy came out to visit for Thanksgiving and we went out and had a huge night in the city. And I, you know, we were like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah. And he said, well, I just got a job, a ski pass and a place to live in Jackson. And I'd had a girlfriend in college that had worked at a, dude ranch out here and so i'd been up here a couple times and fell in love with it and i met no no bullshit story i missed my exit two days in a row on the freeway Um, on purpose uh, this is the moment i was kind of no i was just driving along and i was daydreaming about moving to jackson hole and the second day i drove into the office and i quit my job wow and i wired my buddy a thousand bucks western union yeah (laughs) 
Nobody, nobody, no Venmo. Had, yeah, no, no Venmo, no Zelle. Yeah. And uh, wired him a thousand bucks, and I packed up my VW Bug with every piece of fishing gear and surfboards on top, and bikes and climbing gear, and uh, and I moved to Jackson. And at that moment, right? So I mean, because I feel like that's a. I mean, I had a moment like that. It's a, it's a pretty pivotal. You know, I feel like a lot of people don't give a lot of substance to those moments. I do. Um, do you think you had an idea that you would end up going down this road or were you just going to explore the mountains and, and live? I mean, for instance, right? Like I, I had certain things that I, in my moment, right. I was never gonna, I was never gonna have the keys to my house again, which I still don't. And I was going to leave the keys in my, like I was going to live in a place like where I've lived. Right. Did you have any, any sort of like, you know, I, I did. I mean, I think it was a pretty pivotal, pivotal move to say, you know, uh, thanks uncle Joe for the, yeah. for the job, but you know, have a nice day and L- it, lots of courage. I mean, at that point. it was, it was a, it was a move because I was following my passions, which were skiing and climbing and fish yeah. and fishing. And I wanted to be in a, in a place, um, in an environment where I could pursue that. And I did a really damn good job of that for seven years. I mean, I did every job in this town. You could imagine I was a bartender. I was a, worked at the outdoor store. I taught skiing. Mm-hmm. Um, I was never a fishing guy, which is probably a good move <laughs> or I might still be one. Yeah. Um, but I, um, yeah, it was pivotal. I, I still remember the drive. Yeah. I remember coming over Parley's, um, outside of park city in a blinding snowstorm in my little VW bug and, uh, just grinding up to Jackson, sleeping in the bug, you know? And, yeah. and I remember the minute I rolled into the parking lot at Teton village and my buddy came out, you know, high five in me and, and he left after a year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he went, he, he actually went off to work for Knowles for, for a little while. And, oh, cool. Um, he's a great guy. And Cameron, Cameron, that's why part of the reason Cameron's out here. Right oh, now. great. Yeah. Did Knowles. Yeah. It's a great, great program. And, and I just, uh, it just fit me. It fit my personality. It fit my, um, um, Jackson just fit me. And it took a while to, you know, figure out what I was going to do. But I, I was also, I, I, as I was going through that grind, I had a couple other seminal moments. I had a, a really serious girlfriend at one point that left to go back to graduate school. She's still a dear friend. And when she left, uh, that was another one of those pivotal moments. Like, all right, I'm, I'm going to do something and she's going to regret not being with yeah. me. <laughs> and, uh, so she went on and did quite well, but, yeah. uh, but I, and, and again, just still a dear friend, but it, there was something there that like sparked me too. like, why did she leave? Well, maybe because I don't have my shit together. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I, uh, there were all these little kids, there are all those little catalysts you kind of go yeah. through, but the, that are pivotal, but, uh, those were a couple of them that really drove me and got me really thinking. I always wanted to do something myself. I didn't, I didn't like working for other people that much. Mm-hmm. And so I really felt it was important to, to do my own thing. Yeah. Well, in a way though, it is, it, I mean, you, I mean, it's, it's almost on display now, or it is, right? I mean, the, you, you, you definitely go back to authenticity when you speak or people have to, 
you know, are questioning you about Steo and the success and the authenticity probably lies in those seven years of like doing it all around this area. I mean, well, and I think continuing to do it. Yeah. And, um, but I mean, I guess that's kind of like, that was the infancy, right? Right. And I, I think the most interesting thing is people ask us that question, you know, that everybody tries to find brands that are authentic. I mean, brands that are authentic typically resonate. Mm-hmm. You know, Worldcast resonates because you guys are uh, we're the real deal, right? You still are. And like my son just got a job uh, guiding. That's uh, awesome. Which is really cool because um, he's a young guy. And he did not want to work for anybody else. He wanted to work for Worldcast because they were the brand. Um, so you did a hell of a job creating well, that brand. thank you. And you and Mike and Chris and the crew. And, um, and I... I always answer that with, we're just inherently authentic because every, every single person in my office kayaks or fishes or skis or mountain bikes or, or does, you know, climbs and does all the activities. And so it it just has this inherent authenticity to everything we do. Yeah. It's, um, it's pretty obvious. I mean, you know, because you almost get to see, I mean, I know we're going to get to, you know, what, what Steo has become, but even in the beginning, right. I mean, it's, um, it's pretty obvious around, around here. And now it's obvious. I had a couple, um, cool moments recently with Steo interactions where one of them was in Cameroon and, um, you know, so we're in the middle of, I mean, we are out there. Yeah. And um, you tend to do a lot of yeah. that, that kind of travel. And, you know, it was uh, I, don't, I don't know day four or five, and um, the owner was is a big Patagonia guy, and um, I don't even know if I've told you this, but I only fish in the CFS shorts. I mean, oh, that's nice. like you know, I, I'll 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 try some other stuff, and I and I continually kind of go back. And he, it was cold in the mornings. And luckily I prepared for that, which I did not expect, you know, Western Africa. And so he, he, at one point, uh, when we were sitting down in the makeshift camp in the sofas was like, what is all of this stuff you're wearing? And I was like, steel. And he was like, what is steel? And I, and I, and I was like, wow. You know what I mean? Cause there I am like scared shit of hippos and crocs that night like fishing in the darkness but but i was thinking to myself like that's a that's a real moment right there because it wasn't just like oh what are you wearing that's cool like he had watched it for days right right? he saw a continual pair of those shorts and then some jackets and was like made a moment when it was the right timing a sharp guy yeah you know and he was like tell me you know more and i told him and I don't know. That was a very cool kind of, you know, cause there is no, there's no Jackson part to it. There's no Rocky mountain part to it. We're in the bush. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, well, I think one of the most interesting things to me and I get a kick out of is yeah, I still have friends who think we have a, a little retail store in the town square and, and one in the village and that's our business. Yeah. <laughs> um, which, which is only, uh, you know, our retail division, which is now five stores, soon to be nine, we have four more under development, is only 8% of our business. You know, we, wow. we, we are a direct consumer e-commerce and catalog marketer. And so we fish where there are fish. Yep. And 
and the fish are in the Northeast corridor, you know, DC all the way up through Boston and, and, um, you know, Northern California, Southern California, Seattle, Chicago, Denver, Dallas. I mean, that's where we butter all our bread. Yeah. Which is really, I think is interesting because it's, it's a lot different, um, having a direct consumer brand than it was Cloudell. Like I, I think Cloudell was almost in some ways more recognized because, uh, we were in so many retailers mm-hmm. where Steo's almost five X the size of Cloudell ever got now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's a little more under the radar, which is kind of cool, but it, it does feel like that's changing. It, it is changing. Yeah, um, you're seeing it more and more. Yeah. I, um, the other moment was, you know, in talking, I was, I dropped cook off at baseball last night and, um, was catching up with a, a dear friend, uh, John Hardy. You might have you might have known his brother Tyler. I did. Um, yeah, I met I met Tyler. Yeah, he was at the community school for a while. Right, right. Um, but John and I went got in a lot of trouble together when we were younger, and um, he was asking about this podcast, and I was like, you know, I mean, some weeks I'm like, this is it. I mean, this is my new gig. Right. It's going to be awesome. And then I was like, the next week I'm in here, like, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> um, <laughs> And I told him, I was like, well, you know, it's kind of, what's cool is like stuff tomorrow. I get to sit down with Sully from Steo and he's like, Steo is blowing up in Colorado right now. And he has a good pulse on the, right. Um, and I didn't, you know, I didn't, that it wasn't a shocker, but it wasn't, it wasn't something that was on my radar. And he was like, it's, it's the go-to right now. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really interesting how the whole thing snowballs, you know, and when you, you just need to get a certain amount of product out there. And we, we've sold over a million units of product. Mm-hmm. And so it's well, it, it, far more than that now, I believe. But it, it's, um, it really does start to snowball. It, it's pretty cool. And, and I also find this notion very interesting because it seems, and maybe, maybe you just spoke to it, but it, it seems like a direct-to-consumer business. If they haven't, they will eventually... With maybe maybe success is the key ingredient there. Get back into some brick and mortar. Yeah, you're seeing uh, you're seeing a lot of direct consumer businesses moving back to brick and mortar. And why why do you think that? I mean, I'm just curious. Well, it's it's been a really interesting uh, couple of years, as, as yeah. you know. <laughs> um, I mean, if I go back to February of you know 2020. Oh, wow everybody, you know, we started to hear about this potential, you know, disease and pandemic. And, and then March 13th, you know, I'll never forget it. I mean, we closed our offices, we closed our retail stores and we went back and did a tremendous amount of analysis and, um, pulled back on our, um, our inventory plans for the fall Mm -hmm. adjusted inventory and kind of were ready to hunker down. Um, and then by April, game on. Yeah. I mean, we were in the right business at the right time. People were trying to get outside, not being closed. They were also sitting in front of their computers all day. Yeah. Um, a whole new world, right, of this dispersed workforce. And, and so our business actually did really well and was very healthy uh, during 2020 and into 2021. Now, there's a little bit of a rebound going on 
it's been a little more roller coastery in the direct consumer marketing channels. Um, Facebook is has gotten way more expensive and it's harder to get the attribution right. Um, more people got into direct consumer and transitioned their businesses, so it's a little more of a crowded house. Mm-hmm. But it, it, and you're seeing our retail stores are performing tremendously well. People want to get back and have that socialization. They want to touch and feel the product. And so we we have a mildly aggressive retail rollout. We're rolling out between four and five stores a year. Wow. Is our plan. And and they're they're performing really well. And so you do attribute part of that to p- the pandemic. And then- I, I do. I think that um, you're even seeing department stores rebound. Yeah. Um, if you look at all the U.S. consumer statistics, like department stores were in the shitter. Uh, pre-pandemic and they've started to rebound so yeah in in a way is that a little more i mean because you know during this pandemic ride in the outdoor industry it's pretty hard to forecast anything i mean it's you know and 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 eventually you're kind of you have to be forecasting for when it's going to slow so is it comforting at all to get back to like a to see it maybe a baseline coming where you can actually judge um I don't think we've hit the baseline again yet. Yeah. You know, we've done a ton of analysis on that topic and uh, I think the baseline is going to come back. Oh, what we thought it was going to start coming back this fall a little bit, Mm -hmm. but we're still facing a lot of challenges with distribution and logistics um, and factories being open and closed because of pandemics in other regions um, because we built product all over the world. And it's, it's not normalized again. Yeah, it, well, it's still wavy. Yeah, and it also feels like I mean, and I, I really don't want to say this, but I think it. You know, I mean, it, it's not over. No. Um, and I mean, I don't know if you saw. It was interesting. There was an article out there about North Korea. I was just going to say that. <laughs> like, it's disappeared. I can't find it now. Right. Which that part makes sense, <laughs> but. Um, that was like, I don't, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was like 850,000 cases overnight or something. Right. Which, it, you know, they, they probably weren't reporting for six months or something. <laughs> yeah. So they're on their own. Their and they own have way. zero vaccinations, which is also right. very interesting. But, you know, I got an email yesterday, right? From Rumsey's class. Uh-huh. Someone. So it, it just, I, I hope it's over, but I don't. I just got it six weeks ago. So yeah, that's I, right. So I, um, and I thought I had dodged it. I thought I was, you know, the great immuno, immunotherapy <laughs> guy or something. Yeah. Uh, but, and it wasn't fun. I, I only, you know, I only had three kind of bad days, but it kind of, it lingers. I mean, that's why, I mean, we had scheduled this a couple of weeks ago and I had to cancel. Yeah. Um, because I just couldn't, you know, I wasn't speaking very well. Yeah. And it, it's, um, I, you're not the only person to say that, right? I mean, everyone's like, you you do hear that like oh it's it's not and maybe it is for some people but other people most most people that I've talked to that have had it in the last six months are like it's real oh I mean, yeah I mean, and it's it's such a different kind of sickness have you have you had it well yeah I mean going back to that March oh the early days yeah so I got off of a plane on March first twenty twenty with Mixie and some other guys and. Um, from Sydney to LA. Uh huh. And those of us that were on one side of the plane quickly went down, and those on the other side of the plane did not, which is interesting. Wow. 
Um, and then I tried to go to, uh, it, it, it was completely different. It was like my organs hurt. Um, it was very strange and I tried to get tested and they said, well, you're going to have to drive to Laramie. And I was like, I'm not right. I'm not driving. To Laramie. Right. <laughs> but Jen lost her taste and smell and you know what I mean? So yeah, I, it, I think you, you had it. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, ho- hopefully, right. We continue in the right direction, but. Well, I had just done um, a ski mountaineering race called the Power Four in Aspen, uh, February twenty seventh or twenty eighth or something. Then I drove to Salt Lake and flew to fish the Umpqua with some buddies that have a that have a place. And I'll never forget this. I got on that plane probably on March first or second, and flew flew out to Oregon. I was there for four days, and by the time I came back, everybody was wearing a mask. Like there was this like five, yeah. five or six day period where I got back to the airport and they asked us to wear a mask. Um, it was I, really interesting. Yeah. I think some of those moments will go down, right? I mean, I think we all, I think there's certain moments, right? I mean, when the space shuttle blew up, right. We all know where we were. Right. When the country went on lockdown and like, not that it would happen at the same moment for everyone, but there's a moment for you. Like I was in my shed in Wilson, like, you know, looking at cash flow, being like, "Oh, it's over," right? You know, <laughs> it's, um, but it, but it, you know, year three. I, hopefully, I'm wrong, but uh, it just doesn't feel like um, that's it. But um, back, so let's let's jump to Steo now. Okay, um, the logo. So, Galaic for Sullivan. If I'm, if I'm even saying that, <laughs> Gaelic, Gaelic, yeah, Gaelic. Um, yeah. Thanks, Cameron. So it's it's super hard to name a brand, um, first of all, and then secondly, it's hard to get all the IP, you know, the intellectual property. I probably went through three or four hundred names. I probably still own at least fifty URLs <laughs> because URLs, yeah, cost, no, they, I, I you just, know, they cost ten bucks, right? So. Yeah. Every time I'd find a name that I thought was kind of cool, I would just go register it if it was available. Um, a buddy of mine, Arnie Stiefel, who's uh, married to uh, one of my wife's good friends, another good friend from boarding school, uh, Adair. Arnie and Adair have the ranch below ours in, in Dubois. And, oh, really? And and I was battling to try to find a name. And we uh, we got together one night around the campfire and playing some music and... And getting a fairly good buzz on <laughs> bourbon buzz, and Arnie said, "You know, you're a you're a Mick, you're Irish. You should look up some Gaelic names." Yeah. And so I started looking up all these Gaelic names, and at first I looked for the Gaelic name for mountain or river. Or, you know, I looked up everything kind of around the outdoors, rock, and and by God, if they all weren't taken, you know, really, they, they all didn't have a URL, a domain, and and usually IP. And then I looked up my own name, which is Stephen, and my name in Gaelic is Steofan, S-T-I-O-F-A-N. Oh wow! So it's not Sullivan. No. Gotcha. And so we, I, you know, I circled that around with a few people, and um, and somebody said, you know, that's too much of a mouthful, but Steo is kind of cool, and nobody knows what it means. And one thing that was really important to me was to find a four or five letter name mm-hmm. that was really important, especially for e-commerce. So I looked it up and the URL was taken. Really? Yeah. And it turns out, you know, back in the 90s when the internet first was exploding, 
all these people ran algorithms and sucked up any name that was phonetically kind of correct um, or had some phonetic uh, rhythm to it. And they just bought all the names and registered them. But the IP wasn't taken, so I knew I could get a trademark. And um, and then I, I promptly said, well, you know, we looked at a couple other names and got pretty close on a couple other names, but it was just like, this is a is a good name. It doesn't have any like direct meaning except it's kind of my name in Gaelic, and so I'm kind of the undercover Ralph Lauren. <laughs> um, and then I, I bought. Uh, I had to buy though. I had to pay. I can't remember exactly how much, but it was somewhere around ten thousand bucks to get the URL, and uh, and I've since registered everything related to Steo around that. But but yeah. So I, the name was prior to the Pineco. It was, and, and that's an interesting story. We knew we wanted, we worked with a firm in Boulder that I'd worked with at Cloudvale. Um, a couple of old friends, John Schoenberg and, and Tom Dooley, who are down in, have a firm called TDA down in Boulder. They're an unbelievable creative agency. And it, we went back and forth about something that was intertwined with nature and something that was intertwined with kind of the Yellowstone ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And we... I had another woman, Candace Worthen. Um, she's married now, so I don't know if that's still her last name, but she was really one of the, I think she was the first person that said, you know, we ought to think about a pine cone. It has so many different meanings. And, but then I wanted to make sure that it, there's a lot of um, intricacies to how you develop a logo around apparel. One of them is, you know, can you embroider it? Yeah. You know, can you put it on a label? And so our logo is an abstraction of a white bark pine cone. Yeah, the piece, I checked it out last night, late night, the piece um, that's on your site, kind of the um, animation, if you will, right? about it is really cool. Yeah. And that was, that was part of my question, right? Was that, did you come up with a name and then you went to that and then it all of a sudden, because it, it actually seems to follow your, um, your story. Yeah. Right? I mean, because now it's there, that is happening, right? The seeds are being moved. Right. Now it's, it's starting it's, to blossom again. It's pretty in cool. other areas. Yeah. Yeah, we had a really talented uh, artist that worked for us, Kika McFarland. She's now a, um, a freelancer, but yeah, she did that animation. It's cool. And it turns out, you know, the pinecone has so many interesting, you know, places in the world. You know, the pituitary gland. It's like on the staff of the Pope. Yeah. Like it's like it's around. Yeah. And uh, I went to Italy to visit some friends one time uh, right after I'd started Stio. And just saw the pine cone like everywhere. Yeah. It was really weird. Yeah. <laughs> well, and yeah, I mean, people might think that. I, I'm a firm believer in that stuff. I am too. And, yeah. Um, anyway, it's cool. It is cool. It's um, worked It's worked out really well because it's a very recognizable logo. Um, and it's easy to use in a lot of places. It seems to complement the, um, yeah, look at that. It's just incredible how many pine cones are in Italy. <laughs> and that you happen to go there. Yeah. It seems like the pine cone and the name, right, it's a cool kind of background story. And now they go together and then it almost furthers the story of like where you guys are at right now, which is, which is very cool. Um, another thing that seems to come to mind, and I had a really hard time like writing down the notes on this, but I've always been very, it's been very apparent to me from Cloudvale, from like the moment I moved here um, to today, 
and it's somehow your ability to have the local environment embrace what you're making is amazing. I mean, it, it is, I don't, I tried when I was writing down some notes to find a comparison and I just, I don't have one. Um, yeah, that's, that's an interesting point. I, um, I don't, I don't know how that's happened except I guess kind of organically. Yeah. But going all the way back to one of your earlier questions, I was super terrified to start again because in this community, for example, because Cloudvale had become such a big part of the community. Mm -hmm. And when we launched Steo, you know, I, I had some healthy fear that people were going to be like, you know, oh, that guy already gave it a go and it's, you know, that, that company shit the bed. (laughs) Um, and so I'm so thankful to this local community. I mean, we've done a lot to ingratiate ourselves in the community, whether it's, you know, working with nonprofits, um, the Coombs Foundation, local youth sports. 1%. 1%. You know, we do a lot of different things in the community, but the community has just completely and wholeheartedly embraced us. And, and, and Jackson is one of those little microcosms that, uh, can be one of those seeds off the pine cone that yeah. really spreads because we have so many people that are in and out of here so much and travel. And, um, so I think, uh, I think that was, that was huge. And it's a huge thank you out to the Jackson community. And yeah, well, I mean, you guys are, it's pretty obvious how involved you are. So, I mean, I think the community thanks you as well. Um, if I can speak for them, even though I'm kind of a newbie to Jackson, right? Right. Yeah. You're a, you're a transplant. (laughs) Yeah. Finally made it over the hill. But, um, so the accolades for you and Steo, they run deep. Um, if you were to kind of pinpoint, you know, one of them, whether it's personal company based that you're most proud of, what, what would that be? Uh, I think the thing I'm annual I've been annually most proud of for the last four years is that we've been named one of outside businesses, best places to work. And the, and the reason, the reason I'm proud of that is that's an employee driven survey. Really? Right. So our, um, when you decide to participate in that and there are several thousand companies, I think that participate and they pick a hundred every year. Um, you, you send out a, a very lengthy, involve survey to your employees <laughs> because I have to fill it out too. Everybody has to fill it out. And, and that's how they grade you. Yeah. And, and so it's not, it's not like me paying them, you know, a yeah. hundred grand or something and getting a, a stamp of approval. It's really your employees giving that stamp of approval. And so we work really hard on that and we actually use the data. It, it provides us a lot of data, um, employee feedback and we use that to try to continually better um, our company. Yeah. Whether and I also read about the steward kind of council. Yeah. And then um, a couple of years ago, we developed a stewardship council internally and, a, and also a DEI council. And, and that's driven by the employees. I purposely don't serve on that committee. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a, usually one member of the senior team. And then I think there are three other members of the team right now. And they're from all different parts of our company. Um, they, they're not all director and senior VP type level people. They're, um, they're down to, you know, more typical manager. 
and, and it really helps us inform what we do going forward. Um, you know, one thing that came out of that was uh, we became a 100% carbon neutral this last year. Wow. Which is a very, very um, lengthy and expensive undertaking, but the, the Stewardship Council really felt like that was a kind of, we needed to have a cornerstone. And, and so we pulled that, that trigger this last year. And that had to be a challenge. I mean, it is. And we're, we're also working towards um, B Corp certification, uh, which is a very lengthy process. And we've been working towards that for two years now. And what is that? I don't, I, um, I, know, I know it's a, yeah, it's, it's, it's basically a, it's a way to test your company against best practices. Okay. And if you become B Corp certified, you, you've kind of passed the, the test. You have to hit a certain threshold. Um, to, to get the certification and it, it helps you kind of look at the business holistically. So not just, not just what you do for your employees or what you do for your community, but also, uh, and especially relevant to us is what type of textiles do we use? Um, where do we make our products? How do we transport our products? Um, what kind of containers do we use to ship our products? Uh, it, it, it's very detailed Yeah, and, um, it, it, it's a really good way to, to look internally at what you're doing as a company to try to better better the company. And then I I also I mean obviously the recycled fabrics, the blue sign, right? Right. Yeah, we've we've made a, a you know real commitment to try to be very sustainable in our textile use. Um, uh, within the next five years, we'd like to get to a hundred percent sustainable textiles. It's it's a long um, process to make mm-hmm. that move, but we're we've migrated all to the whole company to organic cotton, um, which, you know, Patagonia and Yvonne Chouinard was a real pioneer of and has really changed the industry. Um, just a, the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. But now uh, it's getting harder and harder to, to pay attention to all those details. I mean, there's, there was a huge organic cotton crisis in China over the last year because of forced labor. And so <laughs> you have to really pay attention to all the details. Yeah. Um, and we're using, uh, we're up to about 45% sustainable uh, textiles now well, across the platform. So it's impressive. Yeah, pretty good, especially starting off from about, you know, 14%. So yeah, just in the last couple of years, we made some big strides. And I, I um, that was my guess on my initial question was that, I mean, that it's one thing to have outside magazine give it to you once. And I'm not saying that's bad. That's awesome. But Four times is pretty, pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. It it, it does. Um, companies that have won once or twice typically start to rack them up mm-hmm. because they're running their companies well and employees uh, respond well to the survey. And but there there are companies that do fall on and off. So it's mm-hmm. it's kind of just one of those annual goals and gut checks for us and. If we don't make it one year, it'll be a bigger gut check, and we'll 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 dive deeper into the analysis. Sure. Yeah. And um, as I said in my um, intro, you know, I would in brief talks with you, right? I mean, this is kind of a a crazy growth stage for you, right? I mean, if we go back to <laughs> When you kick those guys out of the office, right to now, right? I mean, all good guys, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all still friends. Just yeah, but you told them up front. Yeah, good communication. They had to go. Yeah, 
Um, let's just let's just put the current growth in perspective because that's eleven years or ten years, some somewhere in that. Yeah, we've been growing at a compounded annual growth rate of about fifty percent. That's amazing. And so in the early days, um, that's still a big deal. You know, you want your company to continue to grow, but now, now that we've reached some some scale, that's starting to add up to some pretty good numbers. Yeah. Yeah. And and how many employees did you start with, and and where are you? We started because I went out and actually funded the business this time. It wasn't just the hand to mouthy thing. Um, I think in the first few months we had six or eight employees, mm-hmm. and they, they were all strategically planned. And I had I had gone out and you know kind of done a lot of pre work to make sure I got a few people. Um, Warren Marshall, who's still with us and um, works in operations and logistics, and Noah Waterhouse, who started off as our uh, director of marketing, has ascended now to our president and COO. And so it's been that's been another cool thing is this group, this almost initial formation of this business, has made it through and been able to transition through, which is fairly unusual. Yeah, has to um, be very rare. It, it's it, it's actually really rare, and we've we've now started to hire around that group with really really talented people because we've gotten to the scale where we can actually afford to pay people quite well, and and we're bringing in some just amazing talent. Meaning that those folks will have input in. Yeah, we've brought two new people onto the senior team just in the last year, as an example. Well, um, our VP of marketing Evan Torrance, who lives in Park City, and then. Um, our new VP of tech, Jenny Wampler. And, um, and, uh, so, and they're just, just unbelievable finds. And then we're, we're also augmenting kind of the next level management, the director level management. We've really raised the bar on that, that level. And just kind of across the board, as you start to scale and can pay better salaries. And now with the pandemic, one huge advantage of the pandemic is, you know, everybody's, gotten really used to working remotely yeah so a great example is my director of planning sarah raff lives in portland oregon and my director of finance danny levesque lives in portland maine wow and we have people in 16 states now wow and how many people now uh we're up to 120 i think as of this past Monday and a new office here as well. Right. I mean, that, that was part of the, yeah, we have two offices here. We have uh, one over in the, um, uh, the flat Creek business center and it's our largest office. And then we have one in Wilson. Um, and we're about to, um, open an office in park city as well. An office. Yeah, we have, we have 12, we have a store down there already, Mm -hmm. but we have 12 employees there. Oh, wow. And, it's it, again, a point of community. I don't think people are going to be in the office five days a week anymore, but we've really encouraged people to get back to, you know, two or three days a week. Mm-hmm. And so the idea will be for group meetings and when we're flowing through there and, um, and yeah. And so it, it'll be fun. Boy, it was way different looking for office space in Salt Lake than it is in Jackson. I'll tell you yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> one day Noah and Evan looked at 14 spaces from, 20,000 square feet down to 2,000 square feet. And, wow. You know, it's just a whole different world. Down there. Yeah, that was another question I had. It has to be somewhat hard to maintain in this environment, um, which I have a lot of respect for because, I mean, not only have you guys maintained, but you've also grown here. We have, but our, our 
our current, I don't know that, I think we have 80, we have 80 some odd people in corporate and then the rest are retail staff. Mm-hmm. Um, and currently in Jackson, in corporate is 45-ish. So we have started to see, I, you know, the crux for us here is to make sure that we keep design and development here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we like our marketing organization to predominantly be here as well. But we're pretty given up on the fact that we're going to, in order to get the right talent, we're going to have a dispersed workforce. Yeah, and also the cost. I mean, it has to, I mean, it's just gone. Yeah, I mean, I can't. I have one of the biggest offices in Jackson. I mean, it's yeah. almost 6,000 square feet and there's no other place to go <laughs> yeah, <laughs> unless I, mean, I, unless I build something yeah. and, and that's and hard that's to do. Super onerous and, yeah. um, you know, finding the right deal on the land. And I mean, and, and that's in consideration for the future. Uh, but, but it's, this has also really changed our world and it's this pandemic. Sure. Where there are a lot of companies that are fully remote, yeah, and have remained so. So, yeah, it, it'll be very interesting. Again, I mean, the whole thing's going to be very interesting to read about someday. Yeah, uh, when it's over, and it'll be very interesting to read on how you know it rebounds. I mean, some companies, right, are giving people the choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we're kind of forced into it. If we find a, a really talented employee and we know that the job can be done remotely, we, we don't hesitate on hiring that person because of their location anymore. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, don't, I don't see that changing for us or for most people, quite frankly. Sure. There have been some companies that have demanded it. Okay, it's time to be back in the office and and be there five days a week, I think they're going to lose a lot of people. Yeah. You know, employees, uh, the whole climate has really shifted to where I think employees um, have been empowered and they have more power in the equation now. Yeah. And then a lot's changed. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's it's kind of wild. You, you mentioned earlier that um, you're going to open up a bunch of more locations. Can you say where they're going to be or not yet? Oh, I can, I can tell you the next few we, um, we're currently working on. So we have, we have locations currently in Jackson, Teton village, um, park city, park city, Boulder and Freeport, Maine, Freeport. Wow. Yeah. We just opened a little store there in December and we're currently in uh, under construction in bend and Boise. Oh, wow. Cool. And then, um, and we're about final on leases in, um, uh, South Lake Tahoe and Boston. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. And did anything, you and I talked at one point about Denver. Does that not? Denver is, uh, we, 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 we want to have a store in Denver. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's really, really hard to figure out where to put it. Um, you know, you've got Lodo, Rhino, <laughs> Larimer, Cherry yeah. Creek, and we have looked all over the place and we just haven't found that perfect spot yet. Yeah. Uh, and then, right, who knows what's coming down the pipeline? A lot of things might be open in a couple of years. I mean, who, who knows? I don't yeah, think they, we're going to ride this wave forever. No, I don't I don't either. And I, I do think that uh, I really believe in brick-and-mortar retail. I believe in that interaction. And we've tried to be very cautious. And, um, you know, we keep our stores pretty small footprint, you know, under 3,000 square feet. Uh anywhere from a thousand to 3000 really. So mm-hmm. they can, they can range from kind of more boutique to more of a full, full store. 
but I, I I do really believe in retail. I think people like that interaction and like that physical haptic uh, thing that they get when they go in a store and can touch and feel the product. Yeah, that's something that I um, <clears throat> I wildly underestimated when I I knew. I mean, you know the people, right? I mean, the people are everything, and you know that you're gonna miss that when you make a change. Um, what I didn't understand was going to be, you know, how much I missed an actual fly shop, which is a very interesting lesson to look back on. Cause now it's like, that's real. There is no, like, you know, in the beginning I was like, I'll never want to, you know, go into a fly shop again or, but the actual fly shop, the goods, the chatter, the connection with, with even people you don't know. Like there's something so valuable in that. And I, I miss that. Like I didn't, you know, I, I spent a lot of time hiding in the back, but, well, uh, but, but, I, but subconsciously <laughs> you're, uh, you are kind of recreating a fly shop in here. <laughs> in there, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at 50 rods on the ceiling. And, <laughs> and maybe, go, maybe that's why it, I, mean, yeah. I had to get the line winder. I wish know? I, yeah, I wish I would have <laughs> brought over a few reels to get spooled up today. <laughs> no, I, 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 I think you're absolutely, you're right. There's a, there's something real about having that interaction and yeah, especially the fly shop because you know, the stories and you know, every day is an adventure. <laughs> yeah. And there's also, I, I've thought about it quite a bit too. Like in a fly shop, right? It's very rare that you go into a retail environment where there's thousands of things to touch. Right. 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 I mean, like you, you're in there and you could just circle fly bins um, for hours yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. um do you think um it, it's it sounds to me and, and through stuff i've read that you know you you took your experiences at cloudville lessons learned mistakes made and just were very thoughtful and putting those into the vision you created before you launched theo do you think that there's any other way um to do that except for just simply going through it if if you i, I think going through it's probably the best way i mean yeah i look back on it now and i know you have your mba um didn't you get at yeah D, I did. du yeah and i uh i i would have loved to have do-overs and have gotten an mba because mm-hmm. i think it would have but i don't but i don't think i think i got the million dollar mba you know start, yeah. starting cloudvale and one thing I've done really differently with Steo is we are just we are very tight operationally and financially. So we we adjust as we need to adjust to make sure that we you know we come within a, a certain bottom line, and um, we're essentially on a really high growth trajectory. So we're running on kind of an EBITDA neutral kind of uh, we reinvest all our money into customer acquisition right now. Um, but that's working really well. Yeah, that's interesting. But we have to pay a lot of attention to the bottom line, and we have since day one. Cloudvale was a, it was just a little more loosey goosey in that regard. Mm-hmm. I mean, we Brian it was very fiscally responsible, and and so am I. But we were both, we 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 kind of had to do some things to the, to flush it out. Yeah, to flush that out, and so having a little more background in finance would be really help. Would have been really helpful in my mm-hmm. in my first endeavor, but. I, I think uh, learning at the you know the, the hard knock school was a good way to go too. Yeah, and I I often um, you know some people don't people that don't permit fish have a hard time, but I of, I always like compare permit fishing to life 
Permit fishing for me is life and fast forward. But and it gets to a point where I often meet people that are like, I want to, you know, and they're, they're go, I need to practice and go through all of it. And then it's like, great. Now you need to spend a shitload of money <laughs> and a lot of time on the water. Um, but again, there really is no way around that. And it's almost, I think you can bring that to business, right? Where it's like, you have to go through that stuff. There, there's really, I mean, it's hard to learn it otherwise. I mean, it'd be nice if you could figure out a way to, you know, maybe case study or right. what have you. But at the same time, without going through it personally and like seeing it, I think it's hard to... Uh, yeah, I, I think you learn a lot. Just like permit fishing for you, like a, a big... Uh, I still haven't caught a permit, by the way. I hate to even... Ooh, you need to get that done. I know, but again, <laughs> the time. Yeah, and no, the time is... So, um, I've, I've seen a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and scared a lot of them away. <laughs> oh, my God. Last year, I went to the Keys for down near your old haunts down there. Do You, you don't still have your house, do you? Have your we house? don't. Oh, I actually just was down there and uh, the house was fine to depart with, you know, cause it was, there was nothing like, right. I don't know. There was no substance for me. And I, I left with a, when we sold it, I left with a bag, the bag I came with, that was it. Right. I mean, that was like, yeah, just, you know, we were like, just have, have it all. But I did, um, the guy who bought it, um, ended up knowing our business partner and then he has recently already sold it again. So I got a call two weeks ago. It was like, you know, the, the boat and the vehicle are no longer <laughs> allowed here. So I had to go down there last week and sell them. And um, when the boat drove away, though, that was, oh, that was painful. Yeah, I bet. Very. But sorry, go ahead. Oh, I no, I went down it. with, uh, I, I fished down there quite a few times with Harry TV. Yeah. And uh, I was down there for his swan song. And uh, we had five days of 40 mile an hour winds. It was really great. <laughs> and uh, I think we, I think we counted, we saw 17 tarpon in four days. Yeah. That's, it was gritty. And then we, we got into them a little bit the last day, but they weren't on the bite. And, um, Harry was quite disappointed in our fishing. <laughs> um, especially he wanted to go out with, you know, Tom Brady yeah. walking up the field. Yeah. Glory. Yeah. Um, but I really equate, uh, like something you said that I, th I think I learned a lot of lessons in the mountains. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, about partnership, about, uh, you know, putting an objective out there and trying to achieve it. Um, like another little seminal moment right before I started Steo or I started Cloudvale actually was I climbed Denali really with two friends, uh, a good guy. I don't, do you know, worth Coleman? I indirectly. Yeah. yeah maybe I know worth worth lived here for quite a while and, um, worth and a really close friend of mine from high school. And I climbed Denali and it was, you know, it's a real grind. It's like going on a, a fishing expedition where you got good days and bad days and good weather and bad weather. And How long is it? Yeah, we were on the mountain for 17 days. Whoa. Yeah, no, it's a grind. And you're, you know, it's a dangerous environment and it's cold as shit. And you're, yeah. you know, your winter camping skills go into a new stratosphere. Um, but but we got up the thing and, and it, that was another one of those moments of that objective, you know, was out there for, for me for over a year, you know, and training and planning and cause we did it ourselves. We weren't guided or anything. Wow. And so it, it was one of those things that when you set out a goal so far in advance and then achieve it, 
I think that was another one of those big lessons. It wasn't just like, oh, I'm going to go run up the Grand Teton for the day as a climb, which you can do in a day from the valley here. Mm -hmm. I had to really think about that and plan it. And um, there's a real, there's a short window, short season to do that mountain. And, And that was another one of those lessons right before I did that in 1995 and I started Cloudville in 1997, but I'd already been working on it for a couple of years in the backdrop, like researching fabrics and it's and such. And so that was another one of those moments. It was like, okay, I set out an objective over a year in advance and I got there. Mm-hmm. And so in business, cause in business you're constantly doing that. Yeah. I mean, we're forecasting 2023 and 2024 right now. And so it's a really, it was one of those lessons that you don't learn in business school. Yeah. You know, and, but you learn in, you know, in a real authentic way. Yeah. That, uh, f- 17 days. Wow. That's, and that's actually pretty quick. Is it? Yeah. I mean, these days there are some people that run up those things, Yeah, but, uh, the average time on the mountains about 20 days. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, just a couple, I know you've probably got to get going here soon, but I do have one, one other, you know, so I would, Steel's big now. And yeah, it's good size. Yeah. yeah. And there's, you, you have to have some sort of, you know, addiction to or strive to maintain that entrepreneurship spirit that got you into all of this. I mean, there's no way you can just shrug that aside and like, how, how do you, how do you maintain that? Or how do you, um, is it doing what you're doing by getting outside and yeah, I think that's part of it. I, I think that, um, one of the things I talk to every time we hire people once a month, I have a little, I host a little hour long session to answer questions and talk to the new people. And I, I all always encourage people to think entrepreneurial entrepreneurially mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> um because gaelic yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and, it, and it's kind of interesting in our business because we launch a new category it's like being an entrepreneur again to mm-hmm. some extent we know we have the distribution we know we have a customer base to go out to but like we just launched gloves for example and i didn't know if they were going to sell yeah i didn't know if somebody was going to want to buy steel gloves and so we take on all these these new um, addendums to the core product <laughs> line, and it feels like you're an entrepreneur again when you're launching that. That's cool. So that that's kind of a cool way we can keep that vibe alive. Um, and then we 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 still think like that. We don't think like a startup anymore. Sure. Um, you know, there's too much responsibility now. We have big bank lines and a big payroll, and uh, people you know, people's lives and failures are larger. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. Like if we miss a month, it's no longer, you know, 50 grand. It's oh, get the next it, one. It can be a, <laughs> a million and a half. Yeah. And so it, um, so we have to be more thoughtful. Uh, so we're not, a, we don't act like a startup, but I think that we still have a real entrepreneurial kind of can't to our, uh, all the core, senior team, especially in director level people in our business. That's awesome. Yeah. Any, any other things that you're going to be that coming out that you can talk to or no, in in that spirit of like uh, creating a, I can, I can talk to one that's, uh, we have a new footwear line. Really? Yeah. That we're launching. Wow. That's cool. 
it, it's on it's in a container on a boat right now so i know that it's actually going to happen <laughs> <laughs> i've heard about some containers uh oh being out there for no months. but um yeah so we're going to launch a footwear platform this this fall wow i look forward to that yeah it's really cool it's it's kind of uh it's a very lifestyle centric program um and we're launching with winter footwear first which is a little distinctive and unique um a lot of people would launch a footwear brand in the spring summer but yeah we're super excited about it um it's been in development for over two years oh wow so there you go there's the entrepreneurship right right exactly yeah you create a new category and see how she goes yeah that's (laughs) awesome um all right well before before we wrap it up just just a couple of of questions what do you do you read a lot i do read a lot um although i'm terrified of this question because like <laughs> some of the people and some of the books are reading them, <laughs> your previous interviewees are heavy what um what are, what are you reading currently um I, i'm actually currently rereading uh a book uh called northland that, northland yeah porter fox wrote yeah wow do you know porter oh yeah so porter's had i think he's had three books out now um the deep deep right? deep northland was his second book um, and it is, it's just a phenomenal book and I, it's a kind of a journey he took across the Northern border of the United States oh, wow. and he gets into all the history and it, it's, and Porter's a beautiful writer. I mean, he's a tremendously talented writer, um, and a great guy. And, and I, um, I just, I went back to it because I, when I read it, I, I wasn't in the right space to read it, like mm-hmm. the right headspace. And so I, I really wanted to reread it. And so I started rereading that uh, just a few nights ago. I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna a, have to read that. Oh, it's a great, it's a great book. And Porter's such an adventurous guy and loves to travel. And yeah, um, he, um, we were all down in in the BVIs, and he he hopped off a plane and was our our captain. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little terrifying. <laughs> Well, we quickly, you know, touched ground a couple of times, but, um, right. no, it was awesome. I mean, we had a, we had a blast and not to mention he would be a great person to get on here. Oh, he'd be amazing to yeah. get on here. Well, he's a, he's such an interesting character. Yeah. Um, and I, I first met him when he was a ski bomb out here and he's done a lot. Yeah. Too. In the early nineties. Oh yeah. He's done a ton of neat stuff. Yeah. Um, Really good, really good guy too. Yeah, he's a great dude. He, um, he was he was like Taddy's uh, co-pilot. Yeah, know? Taddy was there. Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, yeah. In college though, can you imagine? That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing. Any um, any good content recently? Shows, movies? I did see. I watched. You know, in in preparation for this, that that was a really cool piece you guys did on Ranga. If I'm saying yeah. his name correctly, yeah, that's, you are. That's a really cool um, little short movie for everyone to check out. That was a cool, I mean, talk about a seminal moment, right? Oh yeah. He's a really interesting guy. We, I mean, we have a bunch of content in development right now. If you're talking about like content, no, I'm just saying like you in general, like, have you seen anything or I, um, do you even have the time? I mean, I, you know, the funny thing is everybody's watching all these shows Yeah, and they're constantly, there's so many shows out. Yeah. I mean, the whole landscape has Um, totally changed. One that I've been fascinated by that I just started watching, um, is on Paramount called the offer. There we go. That's something new. I haven't heard of that. So the offer is the story of 
the the guy that produced The Godfather. Really? Yeah, and it, it is a fascinating story. So Mario Puzo wrote The Godfather, and um, this character um, Albert Ruddy is the is the producer, who was a very new producer back in the day, and I, I can't remember what um, what the uh, studio he was at, but but the, he was a very new producer, and he just became fascinated by this book and. And that, that movie almost never got made. So one of the most seminal films in cinema history almost didn't get made because of the mafia and Frank, really? Frank Sinatra and all these Italians that didn't want that movie to happen. Wow. And and so this is a, a slightly fictionalized version of, but has a documentarian kind of vibe to it. And it's, I think it's 10 episodes. I'm into episode five now. I think they've had five. Nice. Well, I'm, I got, yeah. I got two things to do now, but it's a, it's a guilty pleasure kind of thing, but it's a, it, it's super, it's super interesting story. How this, cause I'm obsessed with that movie. I mean, yeah. you want to talk about the way that movie was put together is just unbelievable. Yeah. yeah it's such a classic. And anyway, that's one, one thing recently I've been poking around at. Um, I started watching, um, and I, I fell asleep, but, um, cause I usually like, you know, by the time the kids are done, I'm done. And I, I try to and the hockey right now. is just, I mean, well, that's all I watch. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, the, yeah. did you, <laughs> the avalanche last night in the second period, yeah. I haven't seen a team skate that fast and I'm not even a fan, but that was, that was un that was an unbelievable game. Yeah. I mean, just the, the speed at which it was played. The Avalanche were just dominating. Pennington was just—he was unbelievable. He was just an octopus. <laughs> just unbelievable. <laughs> he made a couple saves that were insane. Yeah, um, I think like two of them that were could be up for the best save of the year. I mean, one and who was the uh, uh, the goalie for the Stars that just had the huge night? Ottomer. Uh, uh, oh my god. Yeah, seventy. Yeah, something just <laughs> insane. <laughs> so good. But I, what I was saying is, yeah, and then I, you know, get through the hockey and then try to, but um, there's a new, there's a new series on Apple that's uh, make or break. Make or break. And it is, it's about, um, they, they do a real time follow of the, the world surfing tour. Oh, man. and it starts off with um, these two, two gals going at it that are just badasses i mean it, it's really you know it's one of those things you start and you're like oh wow this is uh i will i will definitely watch this thing in its entirety oh i can't wait I'm especially gonna... after my amateur hour of cracking my right ribs. Right. <laughs> right you're getting ready to drop into tiapu or jaws yeah. next or something <laughs> <laughs> just destroying myself watch out dawes is the next big wave surfer yeah. um and then the last question and i gave you a heads up and that's the first time i've done this because i started with this question like i'm asking everyone this and then um you could see people were like really you want no heads up like you're just right <laughs> so you know who who is one of the most interesting people you've ever met and why you know, I thought a lot about it uh, on the drive over here in this morning. I even asked my wife, like, who is the most? Interesting? Yeah. And I, I've, I've had the great fortune. I mean, I've met a ton of really 
unbelievable people in the business world. But, but I think I, I kind of boiled it back down to not only the most interesting person, but somebody that was just really influential Sure. to me at, a, at another one of those kind of key inflection points. And, and she just kept popping back up into my mind. And that is a woman uh, that was a professor of mine at Fort Lewis. Her name is Doreen Hunter. And, and I think she's still alive. Um, and I was a humanities, I got my degree in humanities, but history was my major focus. And, and she was kind of the lead of the history department. And I did my independent study with her and she completely turned around, um, my view of school and, or of education in which way, just to a real positive way. You know, I was not a great student. I went into college not being a great student. I actually um, kind of had to take a little time off after <laughs> my first year. Yeah, so and, did I. And, and I went back. When I went back, I, one of the first classes I took was her class. And she just, she got me really interested in learning and, and, and really engaged in the process and, and got, me, got me to return to my love of reading and my love of research. And, um, and she just became a really influential person in my life at a really key moment when, you know, I could have gone super sideways. Yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't have that is what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, that is a, especially in college where there's no, right? There's no rules. No, there were no, and, and. She was, she just became this, you know, this barometer for me. Like if I was, if I was okay in her eyes, like things were going well. Yep. And, um, a mentor. Yeah. She was a real, yeah. she was a real mentor and she didn't need to be or have, um, but she just saw, she saw a spark, I think in me mm -hmm. and, uh, an intellectual curiosity that I hadn't really explored. And I, I would bet you that transforms into you being very, have positive memories of Fort Lewis. Oh yeah. I have great memories. I also, yeah. I still have an unbelievable group of friends from there that, you know, we get together and do all sorts of trips and, um, I, but that, so I, I, I kind of go back to somebody that was the most influential. I've met sure. so many interesting people. I yeah. mean, I've met a lot of the who's who in the business world, especially in the outdoor space. And, but she was just so influential in, at, at a key inflection point in my development. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, listen, I, I can't, um, I think there's probably going to be another, I mean, there's a lot more I need to unpack. Yeah. <laughs> you know, get to, but I think this is a good start and, um, I really appreciate your time. I mean, your, your business acumen is, is something I've always respected and, you know, I've been honored to do some work with you and in and around the fishing world. And, um, I just, I really appreciate you taking the time to come and do this and being a fan and hopefully you'll continue the, uh, the constructive criticism. Cause I need it. Cause I am a little, <laughs> you know, still in its infancy. I mean, I gotta, well, it takes a while. I think yeah. this is a really interesting medium. Um, it is. And I listen to a lot of podcasts and, uh, cause I drive a lot for you sports, Yeah, but it, I, I think you're off to a hell of a start. Well, thank you. Yeah. It's and a, I, and um, um, I am a huge fan. I think you've had some, it's fascinating to listen to some people that you and I both know so well, like uh, finding out their backstory. You know, yeah. Vance, Vance's band <laughs> opened for Nirvana. <laughs> and uh, it's, uh, it's unbelievable. And F Fagan's stories are mind blowing. Yeah. And, and, and it makes sense now why he has never had his, any of his friends 
come to where he works. No. Unbelievable. I've, I've been trying for years. Yeah. Um, I think cool. one of the best questions that's been asked of you on this podcast, though, is Cook. You know, <laughs> when, why, didn't, why didn't you grow up to be a magician? <laughs> You're not the only, I mean, there's been a lot of people that have said that. I mean, I'm kind of wondering why I didn't yeah. do that too, you know, I mean, that was, was wow. That's amazing. Yeah, it was super amazing. Um, well, again, I, I appreciate it and um, I look forward to more of it and um, this was this was awesome, so thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. To find um, more information about Sully, head on over to Steo.com and on Instagram at Steo. Um Anywhere else people can reach you? That's uh, probably no, that's or they, they can find my Instagram as Sully S U L L I Jackson. Sully Jackson S U L L I Jackson. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Permit to Think. My hope is this podcast offers meaningful conversations and stories from the fringe of societal norms. Be sure to subscribe, support, five stars, review, iTunes, Spotify, whatever you're using. For information, more information, head on over to the website at permittothink.com. And also forward this show to anyone who you feel might abide. I am out. Was that good? Yeah. It's so, it's so hard.